0: Welcome to the Together for Good podcast, a podcast specifically designed to inspire, challenge, and uplift you during your daily walk of faith. Today's episode, I'm bringing on a longtime friend of mine. Chris McKinstry is a pastor out in Limerick, Pennsylvania, which is outside of Philadelphia. And Chris has such an interesting story. I had to bring him on, and I'm just so excited to share this with you. He he did not grow up Lutheran, but now is serving as a Lutheran pastor. And so, kind of talking with him and tracing his experience of eventually arriving as a person of of the Lutheran faith. And, And he just, there's just some great pieces in here for all of us to better understand about what the Lutheran Church is really about, what we're committed to, and why some of those theological points are just still so valuable today. So Chris and I have a great conversation. He's got an amazing story, and I really hope you appreciate and enjoy it. This is a little bit longer, but I'm telling you it's worth it. You want to stay tuned in till the end, because there's just so much wisdom that Chris shares with us as he traces his experience towards uh, becoming a part of the Lutheran Church during his time in college actually is when he really made that transition. As always, friends, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Thank you for all the ways that you support us and continue to share this with others. Please keep doing that. Let people know that this is a great way to stay engaged in their life of faith during these summer months when you might be traveling a lot. We're going to have new episodes every Tuesday as well as posting the sermon audio later in the week um, from the past Sunday. So just a great way to stay connected to Bethany Lutheran Church and just to your your life of faith in general. If you um, think of it, feel free to go over to the iTunes store, leave us a like and a review and a rating there. That always is helpful for more people finding the podcast. But now I'm going to turn it over to Chris McKinstry, uh, Pastor Chris McKinstry, I should say, as he talks to us about why he's Lutheran. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Together for Good podcast. Thanks for listening. I have on the line today a longtime friend and colleague, Chris McKinstry. Are you there? I'm here. I'm here. It's great to be here. It's great to have you, Chris. Chris is a pastor um, outside of Philadelphia in Pennsylvania. But Chris and I have known each other for a long time. We went through the candidacy process together in the upstate New York Synod. That's the whole process where you have to be Um, hazed slashed, interviewed in order to become a Lutheran pastor. So we've known each other. Gosh, we've both been ordained for over 10 years now, right, Chris? Yeah, I'm coming up on 10 years in like a week. Okay. And I think I was a year ahead of you. I'm coming up on 11 at the end of July. Um, And so that's great. Yeah. So we've known each other for a long time. And then it's been neat. We did have some time of overlap when I was in Philadelphia before, as you like to remind me, I abandoned you. Um, we would get together for lunch with our other friends. It was really good. It was a really supportive environment. So I'm really glad to have you on the podcast here today. Absolutely. That's great. Thank you. Yeah. Well, and so Chris, you are, tell us just a little bit about what you are currently doing um, just to help us understand the dynamic of your current call, how long you've been there, just help people understand what you're up to these days.
1: Sure. So I'm serving a congregation, St. James Lutheran Church in Limerick, Pennsylvania. Um, I have been here for almost uh, six years. Wow. Um, This is my second call. So the first call I served was in uh, Meriden, Connecticut, which is pretty much right in the middle of the state of Connecticut. And I was there for uh, four years and four days. Um, (laughs) So, um, yeah, so my current call is um, it's in Limerick, which is. I like to describe Limerick as being, if you were to think of the city of Philadelphia, around the city of Philadelphia are all of these suburbs. The suburbs of Philadelphia have gotten so big that they now have their own suburbs. And (laughs) Limerick is one of those. So we are a suburb to the suburbs of Philadelphia. That's kind of the way I like to describe where we are.
0: What suburb do you think you're most a suburb of? Just for my own Um, curiosity.
1: I would say we're probably just outside of like, we're about 15 minutes, 15 to 20 minutes from King of Prussia. I think King of Prussia would be our closest like, you know, bigger area suburb because King of Prussia has gotten so, so, so big um, in the, uh, in the last probably five years or so, five, six, seven years.
0: Yeah. Well, and so for our Colorado listeners, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of people who are not familiar with the Philadelphia area. The, the, that is really a town name. King of Prussia. Yeah. It's Three a weird separate name. Words.
1: It's, it's weird. Really weird name. It doesn't make great any sense
0: mall though. Real. I spent yeah. so much time at that mall with my kids. Cause when they're little hot tip to yep. parents out there too, during the winter months, if you need a place to just have your kids run around what yep. I would do go to the mall, I had to go buy a bouncy ball and just kind of chuck it down the hallway and the kids <laughs> chase after it. It was a great way to get some energy out. Really fun time. Um, <laughs> I don't Have you ever tried that? Chris, your kids are a little, I have not,
1: but we did the mall playground circuit a lot. There were two oh different gosh. playgrounds in the mall and we did them back and forth pretty much until the kids got too tired to do anymore. And then they slept, which was great.
0: Perfect. Oh, gotta love them all. Gotta love them all. Well, um, as much as I'd love to talk to you about malls today, um, no, I, uh, one of the things why I wanted to bring you on here, Chris, is that I know, um, again, just from hearing a little bit during our time in candidacy together, also kind of knowing and hanging out with you since then, you have a pretty interesting, um, pretty interesting story in terms of how you even became Lutheran, because you grew up not in the Lutheran church, from my understanding, and you mm-hmm. didn't go to a Lutheran college, but you sort nope. of encountered and were exposed to the Lutheran um, uh, theology in your college setting. So I, I, I think I'm getting a lot of those details correct, right? Did those I get those correct. pieces? Yep. But those I want you to correct. kind of give us the whole story because I, what I'm really hoping too for our listeners here as they're listening today it, is just the sense of what led you to becoming Lutheran. Like, Why is it that, because this was a conscious decision on your part. Um, which is not always the case, right? Like, so my family—I grew up Lutheran. My dad was a Lutheran pastor. My grandpa, right My my whole family is very, mm-hmm. very, very, very Lutheran, which is often the case for people. So I yeah, really didn't were have a choice before you were born. Exactly. Yeah, yeah it was a is a prenatal right. Uh, conversion. Right. 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 Um, <laughs> so tell us though, I want to hear your story because I'm sure there's going to be just some interesting pieces to it. So start at the beginning or as close to the beginning as you want to get.
1: Sure. Uh, okay. So I would say the beginning for me is probably sort of childhood, I guess. Um, my childhood experience, we, for as far as church goes, we kind of bounced between a couple of different churches, but they all, the thing they all had in common was they were largely non denominational, evangelical churches, um, most of which my experience, at least the ones I went to, they, they kind of meant Baptist, but they didn't want to call themselves that. So they mm. called themselves non-denominational. And, um, and so we tried a couple of different uh, examples of that, one of which was actually a started as a house church. So I was Whoa. worshiping in someone's like uh, the, the uh, living room was the sanctuary and someone's bedroom was the Sunday school room that I was in. <laughs> at all of like, you know, seven, eight years old. So um, I remember thinking this was odd because we were going to a regular church and then we started going to a house church. And I thought that was a step down uh, in my uh, estimation <laughs> as a child that we had somehow gone from a building to a house. So I was like, I don't know what we did wrong, but clearly we've ended up in a different scenario that we were I supposed love
0: that. to be. Okay, um,
1: But nevertheless, this church continued to grow and uh, went on to buy a building and then move to a larger building. And so like it ended up doing doing well. Um, But right around the time when I was in like third, fourth grade, my parents uh, divorced. And so faith and church were not exactly the top priority. At that point in time, there were some other things that became uh, higher priorities than that. So church sort of fell on the back burner for A period of time it was sort of always there but it was not something that we were seriously committed to i was sort of the kid that like you know we popped into church now and again without any regularity or really any rhyme or reason to to when we were Hmm. there and then um i remember my experience of this is that out of what felt like out of nowhere there might have been like some build up to this but in my recollection it felt like almost out of nowhere that my mom decided we were going to be religious. Um, And so I remember her telling my sister and I that we were going to church one Sunday and I told her that it wasn't Christmas or Easter. And I wasn't sure why we were doing this. Is
0: it even open? Yeah. And
1: she informed me that we were still going, that in fact, they were, they were not only open, but that we were going to not only go, but that they were forming a youth group and I was going to be a part of the youth group, which I did not agree with at all. Wow. Um, and, and informed her that I had not consented to this, uh, this arrangement. <laughs> and she told me that that didn't matter, that I was going anyway. Okay. Um, so I, at the age of, I'm trying to think we did this for a little bit. I really didn't enjoy church that much um, at the time. And I remember informing her, when I was probably 14 or so, 14 or 15, that when I turned 18, graduated high school, was out of the house, that I was never going to church again, um, which worked out exactly as I planned. Um,
0: <laughs> when's, the, when's the last time you were in church, Chris? <laughs> so, uh, as I'm
1: speaking to you from my church office right this morning. Um, <laughs> pretty uh, pretty much, my fourteen or fifteen year old self would be very disappointed, very disappointed. in the direction my life went. Um, but you know that's all right. We'll deal with that at, at another time. But the um, so the uh, that kind of kept going for a while. We were I was sort of forced to go to church for a bit, and then um, oddly enough, in the midst of all of that, a couple of things happened that sort of changed my experience. Uh, the first of which uh, was. I actually started dating the youth leader's daughter, uh, which he was not a huge fan of, I have to admit. Um, But it did make me more interested in going to church. So that's sort of just like a characteristic that that existed at the time. But at the same time, what I found when I went to this youth group and got involved with this church was there were these people, mentors, who actually genuinely seemed to care about me. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: I wasn't entirely sure why that was but they genuinely seemed to care about me and they really invested time. They got to know me. They found out what I was interested in and things like that. And that was really important to me. And I think that's what started making me interested in coming back was that I didn't really know if I enjoyed myself when I was there, but I liked these people and they seemed to care about me. And at the time that really mattered a great deal.
0: No, absolutely. And that just seems like such a huge thing. I don't know if you're familiar. One of the things that, um, we at, at Bethany out here in Colorado that we really focus on is this whole philosophy of growing young, which is mm-hmm. from, um, you know, it's a, a whole study, but that's one of the big pieces they talk about is that for youth, um, you know, youth to be engaged and connected with church is to ha- for, for them to feel like they have caring adults in their life.
1: Mm-hmm. So it's really fascinating
0: yeah. to hear you just reiterate that point that, um, you know, we really I think a lot of people have found is just really key is that for, for young people to know that someone besides their parents or their teachers or their, right, like that there's yep. other people out there who Absolutely. really care and invest in them. That's cool. Thanks, thanks for saying that because I think that's a really powerful point.
1: Absolutely. I can I cannot tell you, I honestly couldn't tell you a single lesson topic or subject that we covered in youth group. I can tell you the first and last name of every single person that was involved in that wow. ministry because they cared deeply about me. So I remember the people and I remember the effect that they had on my life. And these are people that I am still in touch with in some form to this day, uh, a lot of them. Um, they They have made a huge difference in my life, even long after I stopped going to that church and really being affiliated with that denomination. So it really is something that those mentoring relationships are humongous. Yeah. So that was sort of piece number one. The next piece was in the midst of all of that, I started getting really curious about the Bible mm. um, because it seemed kind of important uh, <laughs> to the people at the church I was going to. Like they seemed like the the one thing I'll say for my evangelical roots is they care deeply about the Bible. Yes, they do. They might have some strange ways of reading it sometimes, (laughs) but they care very deeply about the Bible. And I'm grateful for that because it instilled in me a love of scripture that I still have to this day. Mm -hmm. And it made me really curious. So I found out, I didn't want to tell anybody I was curious about the Bible because that was sort of seemed like, well, it didn't seem super cool. And it seemed like something that other adults might get like too excited about. You know, like I said, I was interested in the Bible. They might like freak out and get really overly excited about it. So I was like, I don't want to tell anybody that I'm I'm interested in this, but I do need a place where I can learn about it. So I found out that my high school had a student led Bible study. So I started going to this student led Bible study and I didn't want to tell my friends I was going either. So I told them I had detention. Um, because that was easier to tell them than that, that I was Way going to Bible study. Way cooler than a
0: Bible study, yeah.
1: <laughs> and thankfully, my friends were not the brightest people because they never picked up on the fact that I always had detention on Tuesday afternoon. Um, so they never put the pattern together. That really helped a lot. And, uh, and so I got to go to this Bible study and have some conversations with kids my age and ask questions. And there were people there who, again seemed to care about me and were genuinely interested in having these conversations and answering questions that probably started off very, very basic because my understanding of scripture was very simplified because I sort of skipped over a lot of the Sunday school lessons that a lot of people had in their upbringing. They didn't teach
0: you those stories in that weird bedroom in that house?
1: They started to, but then the whole, like, it got derailed. And, you know, like, when you're in a bedroom and someone's trying to teach you the Bible and you're like, boy, like, there's, like, laundry basket in the corner and stuff. Like, there's just a lot of stuff to distract you that like and i was still trying to figure out why we got demoted to the house church in the first place so <laughs> it was a real confusing time so once again don't remember any of the lessons but i do remember i could probably like picture that bedroom still to this day cuz i was so weirded out by why i was there what
0: was going on that's so yeah. funny no and then well and so then it's interesting too like you were even saying even in this youth group you don't really remember a lot of the lessons just more of the emotional attachment, um, the significance of the Bible. And that's what fueled your own curiosity, which is then when you really started learning and picking up on the stories themselves, it sounds like.
1: Exactly. And, and that really, that love of scripture is the thing that probably propelled me forward in, through the rest of my, my faith journey in a big way. Um, I did encounter a person there who, Um, Her name was Katie Jo. Uh, Fun fact, I actually just reconnected with her for the first time in over 10 years at the Festival of Homiletics in Denver Mm -hmm. that I was at.
0: Um, Yes, you were.
1: High school school friend that I have not seen in well over a decade and happened to be at the Festival of Homiletics. So that was fun. That's Um, cool. But this friend told me that when she graduated from high school, she wanted to be a pastor which I thought was the craziest thing in the world because I'd never met a young person that wanted to be a pastor. So I went back to my evangelical church and I said, Hey, I have this friend uh, that knows the Bible really well. And they asked me if my friend was a Christian. And I said, I don't think so. I think she's a Methodist. Um, Because (laughs) my evangelical denomination was, you know, skeptical of anyone that wasn't us. So, um, and so once they, it granted that she was a Christian, they said Methodists can be Christians too, which was very kind of them to, to acknowledge. Um, they, I said, well, this is even cooler. I said, this friend of mine wants to be a pastor. And they said to me, oh, and they had issues with that because my friend was female uh-huh. and, uh, they didn't really like that in this evangelical church. Some evangelical churches are okay with that. This one just wasn't. Yep. I don't know if they've changed that stance since, but they weren't okay with it at the time. And they tried to convince me that my friend was even going so far as to sin against God by wanting to be a pastor. And I remember them showing me verses from the Bible to try and back up what they were saying. And it was the first time of many to come, but the first time where the church presented me with one interpretation of scripture and I came to a different one than they Mm, had. And it was the first time I felt comfortable saying, I don't think I agree with you on the way we're supposed to read that. And it was the first of many to come, but that sort of set me on a trajectory of starting to realize that there were different ways of approaching scripture. And so when I left high school and went to college, I was starting to have this sense that I might be interested in ministry. Again, I was very quiet about it because I didn't want anyone to freak out. And I was kind of freaking out myself because I wasn't really <laughs> sure that what that meant. So uh-huh. I... Didn't tell a whole lot of people, but I was still curious about the Bible, so I went to a college, Houghton College, in the middle of western New York, um, which is really in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, I was Um, going to say,
0: not the middle of western New York, the middle of nowhere. Yes. (laughs) I've been to Houghton College, and it is a pilgrimage. First, you have to go to Buffalo, which really isn't the big city, let's be clear. And then you have to drive an hour through meandering roads, past Arcade, like it was... (laughs) Yeah. It's the middle of nowhere. Um. It is.
1: It is. I used to work for the college switchboard. And this was back before like GPS was a common thing in people's cars. So we would have these visitors that would come to visit the college and Uh they would often call the switchboard and they would be really concerned that they had like made a (laughs) wrong turn or something. And I would say to them, okay, I I would give them some landmarks and they would say, yeah, no, I saw that. I saw that. I said, okay. I said, keep going down this road. I said, there's going to be a point where you're going to start to wonder if it's possible that a college could be out in this location. And I said, <laughs> we're about 10 minutes past that point.
0: That is the, 100% accurate from my experience.
1: And the number of people who would come to the switchboard, come to the welcome center, as soon as they arrived at campus, they would say to me, yeah, that was about right. It was about 10 yeah. minutes past the point where I was like, I think I have to turn around. I had to have made a wrong turn. So
0: it was in the middle of nowhere. Um, but a really good school, like a really yes. good school and an awesome community, very close knit, right? Like it's pretty small. Yeah. How many students? 2000, if that?
1: Yeah, it was small. My graduating class, I think, was like 400-ish or something yeah.
0: like that. It wasn't wasn't huge. So but when was... you're so isolated, too, like I think everybody, just about everybody lives on campus, really mm-hmm. close knit community. And is it is it affiliated with a particular Christian denomination or is it just kind of general I christian school
1: i think it has changed since i think it's more oh, okay. general now but at the time i think it was affiliated uh with the wesleyan wesleyan church, church. that was my thought sort of an evangelical offshoot of the united methodist church If you yep. go back far enough they're connected to the united methodist church um and so it is a uh yeah so that was my experience going there and i majored in in bible mostly because i was still curious about the bible and thought maybe this ministry thing was for real. But by that point, the trouble for me, the main problem that I had run into is I had sort of made my peace with the fact that the church of my origins or the church that I had come from that started in that bedroom um, was uh, not gonna work for me. That that denomination and their beliefs and and the, my, the example of my friends who wanted to be a pastor who was female and them not being okay with that, that was a, a, one of many examples of, Points where we started to break uh, away from each other. And so I was grateful for everything I had learned and gotten from there, but I didn't belong there anymore. And so then I had to figure out where I did belong. And that's pretty much what I spent most of my college years trying to
0: figure out
1: was where I belong.
0: Before you get to that part of the story, what I'm also curious about, just hearing you tell this, How, like, what did people think when you're graduating? And wait, where did you go to high school? You were in Syracuse area, right?
1: I was in Baldwinsville, Baldwinsville High School. um, Very good. Yeah, Baldwinsville, uh, New York, right outside of Syracuse.
0: Uh, There's a good Lutheran church, St. Mark's, Baldwinsville. Um, But you, so you were there. And then, um, I like, what what did people think when you told them that you're going to Houghton College to major in the Bible? Because hadn't you... You know, like all your friends thought you were still in detention on Tuesday afternoons. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah. Was that like a whole experience, too, of kind of having to explain this to friends and family that you were curious enough to pursue this in your. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. It was it was it definitely there were moments where we had to where I had those conversations with folks to try to explain what was happening. I was kind of pulling away from that friends group a little bit. Um, I think they noticed that I was around a little bit less. Um, eventually I sort of came, came clean and said that I was not in fact in detention every (laughs) Tuesday. Um, I think they did eventually get curious. Like, what was I, what was I doing over and over and over again to end up in detention? Um, so I eventually like explained myself and what was going on and they were actually way more uh, okay with it than I had expected them to be. I don't think they really cared as much as I thought they were going to care. That was sure. kind of refreshing. Um, but I remember that being uh, having to come clean on that. And then I remember telling folks that I wanted to study the Bible that came about a year in uh, to my first year at Houghton. And I was sort of okay. like a quiet Bible major. And then when I finally like told my family that I wanted to study the Bible. I think my dad was sort of like, do you have to go to college to study the Bible? (laughs) Um, And he was, you know, thinking that it was expensive, which it was um, to get an education at Houghton and to study the Bible. Um, But I... And other people were like, "Do you have like a trade or something you can fall back on just in case that doesn't really go anywhere?" Because they were concerned that you know studying the Bible is surprisingly not very lucrative. Um, so, which which uh, you know, it is what it is. But
0: I mean, you so, could yeah. go like the Joel Olstein route, right? Like, there's could, there's yeah, yeah, the televangelists are very lucrative in their um, yeah, but more often than not, not a it's lucrative. True. You just sort of
1: have to decide what your soul is worth and, like, how much you want to ask for it um,
0: so that you know, like, what the exchange rate is. Yeah, well said. Well said. (laughs) Um, Okay, so anyway, so then you, you know, you, yeah, the family, friends are starting to understand this and you're studying Bible at Houghton. Um, That, yeah, let's hear a little bit more about that experience, too, because I know a lot happened there during your four years.
1: Yeah, so that was... uh, kind of studying the Bible, getting more and more clear that I felt called to be a pastor, which made me more and more nervous because I didn't have a church. Like I didn't belong anywhere. And so that became, that made that struggle and that search even more real. And I say to a lot of folks that I think that the reason I'm still a part of the church is in part because of that sense of call that I couldn't shake. Like that was really what kept driving me to keep trying to answer this question. I think I probably would have given up a little bit sooner if I didn't have that sense of call driving me because there were a lot of experiences in churches where I just kept feeling like I didn't fit. And I think after a while that would have just wore me down and I would have said, all right, this just isn't going to work. But that sense of call was kind of nagging me and wouldn't let me go. And so Um, I tried a bunch of different churches, and I had the advantage of taking classes in church history and theology. So I started to come to a better understanding of what different denominations believed, and each of them kind of brought something to the table. So I felt like every time I tried a different denomination, even if it didn't fit, I was able to take something from it that I was excited about, that I was like, okay, well, this isn't a fit for me, but... They've got this one part that I really, really like. And Can you so, give us an example? Uh, sure. Like one of the so, for example, the school was Wesleyan. So Wesley, so <laughs> Wesleyan, uh, the Wesleyan theology. You trace that back through the Methodists and uh, and particularly John and Charles Wesley. And so I yep. learned a great deal about them, and I learned about what their frustrations <laughs> were about churches at the time, and particularly that they were. More um, kind of social justice oriented than I think a lot of people realize at the time, and that a lot of their frustrations with the church that they were able to part of their experience was trying to um, empower people who were poor and being taken (laughs) advantage of by authorities at that time um one of the reasons why the wesleys have the issues with alcohol that they do or wesleyans have the issues with alcohol they do it's become kind of a purity thing but at the time wesley's issue with alcohol was that it was actually being used in a way to to really hurt poor communities um mm-hmm. than it was and that it, it actually took more grain to make alcohol than it did to make bread And so there were people who were starving and were basically drinking themselves to death uh, while he was, (sighs) while they were, um, while the sort of elite of that time or the people in power at that time were sort of taking advantage of them, not paying them wages that they deserved, those kinds of things. I learned that the Methodists were actually very connected to... Um, anti or to the to the abolitionist cause the anti-slavery cause uh, in um, in America in the sort of the 19th century and actually uh, evangelicals have this thing that they used to do called an altar call and you might be familiar with this might be not might not be familiar with it but an altar call the history of that actually is somewhat rooted in Methodism because when they would have people convert They would actually want them to come forward, not necessarily because they were just asking Jesus into their heart kind of a thing, but because they wanted to sign their name up towards the abolitionist cause trying to abolish slavery. So it was about making sure that they had the numbers to support this movement of removing slavery. So there were a lot of really interesting pieces of this history that I was like, this is really amazing. But at the same time, a lot of what the institution had become was not necessarily reflecting those founders. And and I think that that's true of every institution to some degree. But because I was like trying to figure out where I belonged, I guess I had a bit of a critical eye, whereas maybe somebody who was raised in that denomination might not have the same critical eye on that particular denomination. So I bounced around a lot um, and sort of gave up uh, the fight after a while, took, uh, got really jaded and frustrated. And then I met a teacher, a mentor uh, named John Case, who, to my knowledge, is still a professor at Houghton College. Um, and he was uh, one of those professors that I, I believe uh, wholeheartedly, had I have not met him, my life would not have gone in the direction that it went in. Wow. Um, and it was meeting him and taking some classes with him. And he had gotten his PhD at Luther Seminary.
0: No way. And so we
1: were taking a class on systematic theology, which was a requirement for my major. And I was reading all of these Lutheran theologians. and I was really <laughs> fascinated by it. And he, um, he and I met in his office one time. And I was basically pouring out my heart, sharing this frustration, these struggles that I had bouncing from one church to another. And he did a thing for me that I will never forget. He handed me a book and it was a book titled Freedom of a Christian um, by Martin Luther. And he he said, read this and tell me what you think. Um, And so I took it back to my room and I read this book and it was a book that was written in the 16th century, but I felt like it could have been written about my life and about my experience because so much of what I read in that book spoke to my experience of God up to that point in time. Um, Luther talks a great deal in that book about being frightened of God. Uh, he describes his this period of his life where he is filled with turmoil and frustration and fear of God. Um, and that was something that I was experiencing. I never felt like I had done enough to earn God's love or grace or to, to be safe to be saved to be whatever so those altar calls I mentioned before I must have answered probably half a dozen of them at least in my life mostly because I was always convinced I didn't do it right the last time
0: so I didn't do enough your church growing up had altar calls
1: Yeah, they did. And then we would go to these like revival type meetings, or these like big Christian concert festivals, and they would have them there. And I went to all of them. Every time there was an altar call, I was like, well, they made such a compelling case. And I'm not entirely sure I did it right last time. So let me do it again, just in case.
0: Yeah. yeah. So,
1: and it came from a place of real fear, because the idea that I was that I was fixated on is if there is a right way to do this, then there's a possibility, at least that I've done it the wrong way. Yeah. And I can't, couldn't shake that idea. And so reading about this idea wow. that Luther presents, that it is not up to me. It's not something I choose to do, but it's something that's given to me, that God's grace is given as a gift, completely independent of anything I could do or fail to do, yeah. was revolutionary in my life. I'd never heard anything like that before. Um, and so I went back to this professor huh. and was totally shocked by what I had read and sort of was like, is this true? Like, is it okay if I believe this? Because <laughs> if so, like, I'm ready to sign on the dotted line because this is what I've been looking for. Like, this Where, is where's really... the
0: altar call? Come on. Yeah, <laughs> I was ready to, exactly. I was ready
1: to answer another altar call, like the the final one, so to speak. And, um, And this professor explained to me like, yeah, this is, this is Luther. And this is where we get, you know, the Lutheran denomination and everything. And he's like, and his suggestion was, I know you've been looking for a church. I know you've been looking for a place to land. So why don't you try one out, try out a Lutheran church and just see what happens. And if nothing else, it'll be one more, you can check off your list, but it might be the place for you to land. Yeah. And so I found the closest Lutheran church to Houghton which was in a little town called Arcade, New York. Hope
0: Arcade, yeah. Hope
1: Arcade. So, uh, pastored by Sean Hannon currently, but at the time it was a man named Pastor Neil Catterman.
0: Neil Catterman, who was one of my internship supervisors.
1: Yes. And I found this little Lutheran church and a group of us, actually a group of us started reading Lutheran theology. It was like our little Lutheran theology book club. We read a book called uh, Where God Meets Man by Gerhard Ferdi. Um, yeah. And uh, we we're all getting pretty excited about Lutheran theology. These are the rebellious things college students do and,
0: uh, <laughs> at, Houghton college, maybe. <laughs> at Houghton College.
1: And um, I mean, we were drinking beer while we were reading it, but still like it was rebellious for,
0: on many levels
1: for this place. And uh, and we all were like, hey, let's go check out this church. So we started going to church. There were like four or five of us and we sat in the very back pew. And I, from day one, literally from the first service um, in that church, it was just, it clicked. Like everything felt right. The the theology, everything that I had been learning clicked with the practice. And I just was, and it felt honestly like coming home to a place I'd never been. Um, And it was really, really liberating and really comforting and I remember Neil Catterman, Pastor Neil Catterman being very confused that there were a bunch of people from Houghton <laughs> coming to his church. He, he, he did tell us multiple times we were welcome, but he was really confused as to why we were there. And we explained to him why we were there. And I think that worked for a time, but I think he he kept asking. He was still like, it didn't, it didn't compute, especially because the group started getting bigger. Yeah. And so we eventually moved on to two pews where we taking it two of the back pews. And he seemed just as confused. Uh, The more people that showed up, the more confused he seemed to be as to why we were all there. (laughs) So it was, which was great. It was a fun, (laughs) it was a fun thing, but we kept talking about what we were learning. I kept telling people, Hey, you don't have to worry. This grace is just it's there. It's ours. You don't have to do anything to earn it. It's it's free. It's 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 a a gift. And I kept talking to friends about this and they kept saying, where are you reading this stuff? And I was saying Luther. And as it turns out, the Bible, which was really good news um, to find out that it was in there. It's actually
0: in there. Yeah.
1: And so I was like, I missed it somehow for like a really long time, but it was it was there the whole time. And uh, so we, yeah, we expanded our little Lutheran club going to Hope Arcade. I think we eventually were up to two carloads of folks and it was a whole thing. So it was fun.
0: That's and really
1: cool. uh, and yeah. that was kind of the final, final thing. Like once I started going there, that sort of finished it off. And I said, okay, this is where I fit. This is where I belong. And now I just got to figure out how to become a pastor in this church.
0: So. Can you, can you say more about what it is that clicked? Cause I, I mean, I know. I know Neil Cotterman, I know, like, Hope Arcade relatively, um, you know, and, like, it's not like that church was doing anything super cool and interesting. I'm sure it was, like, normal yeah. Lutheran, you know, and knowing Neil, it was probably very liturgical, yep. and Neil will even tell you that he doesn't think he's a good preacher. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, like, he's a very caring, very faithful pastor. Yes. Um, but like, none of that seems like it should be attractive to college students, right? Like everyone always seems yeah. like, oh, like in order to get the college students here, we got to have a rock band and a drum set <laughs> and a pastor that looks like he was in the X Games. Um, sure. like, we, and none of that is Hope Arcade with under the direction of Neil Cotterman. Um, That's true. So, so what do you think it was that was so compelling to your group that people kept coming?
1: I think that's where you uh, are. You hit on why Neil was so confused, um, because it was sort of a success that was independent of him, and I think that that was, that was just interesting, um, and again, I, I couldn't tell you specifically about um, what it was, uh, anything, any one sermon. There's one teaching that I do remember specifically that I'll mention in a second, but The thing, honestly, the thing that captivated me first and foremost, um, was actually the liturgy. I had started to become really interested in, um, a more liturgical approach to things. And the reason for that is uh, about a year prior to that experience, a group of Franciscan, uh, friars came to the school, came to Houghton college and, um, They were with a bunch of evangelicals, so they knew that we didn't know anything about liturgy because evangelicals. And so they did us a favor. They said, we'll do a mass, and we'll just explain every piece of it to you step by step as we do it. And we'll tell you why we do it the way we do it. And I remember sitting in this experience in like a classroom, but watching them do a mass. And thinking for the first time, oh, it all means something. There's a reason why they do all of these different things from putting on their vestments all the way through to the end of the service. Um, It was really fascinating. And so I started getting really curious about liturgy. And so I went to Hope with that sort of already developing appreciation for liturgy. Uh And I remember, so LBW, Green Book. People who are familiar with that oh, yeah, that, yeah. Th- that part of the, the setting, most Lutheran services start with, and those were and this was no exception, a confession. The confession huh? and forgiveness. And I remember for the person who is obsessed with did I do enough? For the person who is obsessed with doing altar calls again and again because I was always fearful that I didn't do enough to have the confession and forgiveness to be able to confess sin. And then hear the pastor say, I declare to you the entire forgiveness of all of your sins was something I had never experienced in a worship service before. And so kind of from that point on, I'm like, well, you got me hooked from the beginning because right Mm -hmm. off the bat, I've already got in a way what I came here for. Um, I'm reminded that I'm forgiven. So now like everything else is sort of extra. And the other thing that I really liked about it was there was a point, I remember Neil giving a sermon about, it was, I think, First Communion. I want to say it was First Communion Sunday. So there were like two or three kids all done up in white, you know, because that's what you do when you're, you're getting a First Communion. They're in their costumes and they're up front. And he's talking about these little kids who were, I don't know, they were probably maybe seven or eight years old. They were young. And he was talking about communion and he was saying, now, I know there are some folks that might criticize and say, you're giving communion to a seven or an eight-year-old and that seven or eight-year-old doesn't understand how communion works. And he said, and you're absolutely right. They don't and neither do you. Um, mm. And One of the things I really appreciated about this, and he did this a couple of other times, but it started to, to I started to appreciate that. Lutheranism was not about having all the answers, and Mm -hmm. it was about just being comfortable with that mystery, with trusting in the sacraments and not having to understand how they work, but trusting that God was there nevertheless. And I grew up, I mean, the evangelical world is all about having the correct answer to every question, it's about having God completely figured out so that I can go up to any random person. And give them a perfect open and shut case about why they should be a Christian. And the person will just convert right on the spot. As it turns out, it doesn't work that way. Um, but they were prepared to do that if that situation ever presented itself. <laughs> and I really appreciated this love of mystery or this this comfort Ooh, with what yeah, yeah. that all figured out. Because that was really, in a way, for someone who had been searching for the right answer, Saying that you didn't have to have a right answer was sort of the liberation that I was looking for. It was, it was enough to say, you're never going to get there and it's okay because there isn't really a right answer to find. You can just trust and that's going to be enough right there. And it was really like, I just felt like I got to breathe a sigh of relief. That was really what I left that worship service feeling is I just get to breathe deeply and not have to like carry this around with me all the time anymore.
0: Yeah, well, and it's just, that all makes so much sense to hearing you kind of describe it and tracing this all in here, right? Like your initial kind of entry point into this whole journey of faith and discovery really was your personal curiosity, right? Yeah. Like talking about the Bible and all this stuff all the time. And then it's like, no, I want to kind of figure out some of this for my on my own, um, right? Like an it interesting how curiosity and mystery seem to be so intrinsically linked, right? Like that in the end mm-hmm. where you ended up all your curiosity led you to, hey, so much of this is hard for us to ever fully figure out and that's okay. Um, which really is just an invitation to perpetual curiosity, right? Yeah. Like that you can continue and I'm sure you have, right? Like I know you do, like you you, you yeah. read more than I do, just continuing to explore and new ideas. Um, and really, and you, yeah, the Lutheran Church, I think does do that really well is while we have this understanding of mystery, um, it's never been um out of a sense of laziness right like the academic yeah. side of lutheran theology is vast and extans- expansive. um because people keep you know pursuing that curiosity and thinking more and more about these big ideas even though they know in the end they'll never write- lined up at a firm conclusion in most circumstances so it's just kind of, it's yeah. cool to see those pieces right like fit together here um, absolutely
1: and I so, think the paradoxes—they oh, were so in—they were so comfortable with paradoxes. I really liked that a lot. That was because, again, my evangelical upbringing. For what uh, there's a lot that I'm proud of, but one of the things that I was frustrated by, was it was so either or. You're either with us or against us. You're either in or you're out. You're right. either you know redeemed or you're not. And I love that, like, Lutherans were all about, you can be two things at the same time. You can be saint and sinner at the exact same time. You can be, we can talk about this is bread and wine, and this is the body and blood of Christ at the same time. And we don't have to explain how that's possible. We can just affirm that both of those things are true. Yeah. At the same time. And it was really wonderful to just be like, cause I'm pretty sure I'm both of those things, saint and sinner. And I I've got proof, uh, more proof on the sinner side, I think probably, but still, um, it was comforting to know that I didn't have to have it figured out and we could just sit with the mystery and hold two things at the same time. And it was really, really, um, really liberating to not have to have it yeah. all figured out.
0: That's really cool. Well, and so now, I mean, so then, I hear like that whole sense of call kind of pulling through all of this and you, you move on and you become ordained in the Lutheran church and you continue to serve as a Lutheran pastor. Um, and I'm just kind of wondering now that you've been a Lutheran for, you know, 20 years or so, whatever it's been um, and serving as a pastor in the church for 10 years. I mean, what do you think the Lutheran church still has to offer the world? Cause I think a lot of us are worried that we're becoming irrelevant um, but I, I mean, I know I personally believe that there's so much that the Lutheran Church does that's still widely relevant, but I would love to hear you kind of reflect on it, just given your journey.
1: Yeah, I, I would say that I've been convinced over time that what we have to offer has only gotten more relevant as I've been in ministry and not less. Like the more I look at the world around me the more necessary I feel what we have to offer is. And particularly for me, that really boils down in a lot of ways to Lutheran's understanding of grace, um, which is something that I don't know that the world around us knows how to talk about very well. I don't know that they're even comfortable with the idea of grace. Everything is earned and it's earned one way or the other. Like either you're... Your uh, righteousness is earned because you do the right things. You present yourself in the perfect way. You have all the right pieces on your resume. But the moment, the moment that you mess up, the moment that you show that you don't have it all together or that you might in fact be flawed or that you made a mistake 20 years ago or did something wrong at one point. It, you're, it's over that you can be di- you can disappear almost overnight your world can come crashing down there's no space for grace there's no space for redemption there's no space for for any of that and it, yeah. it frightens me because yeah if someone looks in my past or looks at my story too closely they're going to find plenty of things that are wrong with me so i'm i can't, can't i can't stand up to that kind of scrutiny. So I think the fact that we preach a gospel that you don't have to stand up to that kind of scrutiny, and in fact, you can be almost proud of the fact that you don't because it's those friction points, it's those imperfections that people can connect with, it's the vulnerabilities that people can say, yeah, I can't relate to the guy who's perfect, but I can relate to the person who has struggled, I can relate to the person who's even messed up and has found a way to redeem to 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 experience redemption. After messing up, so right. I well, and that, I mean,
0: yeah. coming back to the Bible side, like that is every biblical character. I feel yes. like we always miss that point of just like literally every biblical character except Jesus has yes. some sort of terrible thing in their past that God turns around.
1: <laughs> yes, um,
0: <laughs> like that is all the stories. um Every single time, but sorry, continue. I just had to like, but you know, yeah. insert that in there because yeah, we. We don't, as a society, wrap our minds around that at all, it seems. And, and especially, um, you know, the lots of talk these days about cancel culture, and that just seems like an amplified version of this, of like, yeah, we're going to find what you did wrong in the past and hold you accountable towards it today and get you canceled. I mean, it's, it's obviously more nuanced than that. Um, sure. But that's a part of it, too, of like, that just doesn't feel like there's anything gracious about that whatsoever, yeah. Um, and, and and when I read the Bible, I'm just like, wow, like, that's just doesn't seem to be the way that God works, at least. Um,
1: no. And I think that's the part that I'm so compelled by, because the truth is, I mean, there are some there are some cancel worthy offenses yes. that people can make. Yeah. But the Bible seems always concerned, God seems always concerned with reconciliation. God always seems concerned with restoring things, making all things new with hope and with the possibility of of redemption and grace. And so I I think that we don't have a lot of language for that in our world that we don't. We know the cancel part. We're really good at saying you messed up and you need to make amends or you need to you know, spend some time in time out uh, and we don't want to hear from you for a <laughs> while, but we don't have a really good way for people to enter back in again. We don't have yeah. a really good way for people to say, hey, I did screw up. I did mess up, but that experience taught me something about myself, about humanity. It helped me grow. It helped me change. We don't, we're don't. not very good at telling that story. No,
0: and that's that's such a great, important Lutheran distinction too. Um, because, you know, like you've focused a lot on grace, um, but I'm sure you'd also be quick to tell us like that the, you know, it, it's confession and forgiveness. It's not just forgiveness, right? right? Like there right. is, there is a need for thing, you know, for repentance to happen. There is a need to be convicted by the law, as Luther right. would say, so that we can discover the joy of the gospel again, right? Like it's right. it's the both. And it doesn't mean that you can just skip all the way ahead to the grace. There has to be some actual <laughs> yeah. contrition. You know, possibly some canceling at the moment, so that real healing and change can take place, setting the stage for a more vibrant future. Yeah,
1: absolutely, absolutely. But I I mean, I grew up with we had the law part down real well. My the church growing up that I went to, we talked about Paul all the time, and they loved to turn everything he said into a new into a new law, which was I think I think a misreading of him in a in a big way, but nevertheless. And so they were all about rules. It was it was a thing. In fact, by the end of the time that I went to that church, I started trying. I my I have a little bit of a rebellious streak, so I started to try and find ways to poke at those rules a little bit to just sort of see where the boundary line was exactly. Um, but I think that that's a big piece of it is that they're they this. It was an effort to try and control people. It was an effort to try and have more control over the world. Don't listen to this. Don't go to these places. Don't affiliate with these people. And by doing that, we were somehow purifying ourselves, but it was the, the law gospel thing to me allows us to say, yeah, these laws matter. And yes, there's a way of holding people accountable, but it's also about reminding us that we're never going to be perfect. And that's why the gospel is so critical. That's why that grace is so critical because it helps us to not hold ourselves to such an impossible standard because that's what I grew up trying to do. And it just didn't work very well. The other thing I would say that makes that made Lutheran theology, the thing that I continue to come back to, and there's actually a really good example of this just recently, actually. Um, I don't know when this uh, recording actually goes live, um, but just this past week, last week, everything that happened in Texas and uh, the the terrible uh, tragic events of, uh, that happened in Texas this past week, that to me, I, this past Sunday, the thing I felt most compelled to preach on is Luther's theology of the cross, which is the belief that God is with us even in those excruciating moments, that God doesn't, isn't far away, but God is found in and especially in the excruciating moments of life, and that we can trust that. And I've experienced excruciating moments in my life. Everybody has on one level or another. And to know that God isn't far away from you, but in fact, God is so near to you in those moments was so comforting to me that that's really the thing I also continue to come back to because there's been a lot of excruciating moments uh, that, you know, we've had to, that I've had to preach on as a pastor in the last 10 years. There have been excruciating moments in my personal life and to be reminded that god is close to us in those moments god is found with us in those moments is again it's grace and it's uh keep, allows me to breathe that sigh of relief
0: yeah no thanks for sharing all that too it's just it's really the the grace piece i don't think could ever be irrelevant um like really, and and really the theology of the cross is just a nuancing of this whole gracious idea of like that we don't have to do anything that in fact mm-hmm. when we are laid low by our suffering and our pain. That that's when God promises to show up, um, right? Like, what could be more gracious than that? Of knowing, Absolutely. like, when when you can't, when you don't know the words to say, the words to pray, when you don't know how to move forward, that's actually the moment when God is closest. That's how right, like, that's how Luther would put the theology Absolutely. of the cross idea. Um, and it's just cool, like, as we trace your whole story here. You know, how grace was kind of an overarching part of all of it, but it took you, you know, a couple, you know, a decade or two to arrive at that particular language for it. But I just, you know, like, I'm just thinking about it, like, it was the relationships that were so essential in your high school youth youth ministry and isn't like a, a, a good, valuable relationship a beautiful example of graciousness in our life of god's grace in our life right like you didn't you just had to keep showing up and those those adults loved you and cared about you and were invested in you and that mattered not because you were good enough not because you had the right answers but just because you were there and that's what they were called to do and then like additionally i think about the curiosity side of things like we've already talked about of how gracious that is is that you felt like yeah i can just kind of Pursue this and think about this and, you know, try and struggle with what the right answers might be, um, but not necessarily knowing. And like that's a really gracious approach to it. It's not just drilling facts or memorizing verses, but it's this generous curiosity of it all. Um, and all that leads you to this understanding of of mystery and grace and how it all kind of works together. It's just It's really cool, right, like to trace people's story and to see how the Holy Spirit is authoring these particular themes again and again in different ways. And you can't quite trace the full pattern of the song until you get you know, down the line some ways. But I just love looking at all that. So I mean, I, I just talked a lot. That was a nice little soliloquy on my part. I mean, yes. what's, your, what's your reaction to me kind of tracing these pieces together like that?
1: I, I, I really, I couldn't agree more. And, but what's, what's funny is it doesn't feel like that in the moment, but it's only sort of when you look back that you're like, Oh, this all fits together exactly the way it's supposed to it. And it, it couldn't be anything but what it was. And I think that that was, but I think those early experiences, I think back to those moments with those people that I even mentioned, I think at the start that like cared about me and I didn't really know why, but I really liked that they cared about me. I mean, that what those, as you said, were experiences of grace, but I think without that, I wouldn't have context for what that word meant later on. So it was sort of like, once I'm learning this theology of grace, I'm able to see, wait a minute, this has actually been here the whole time. This resonates deeply with me because I've experienced it. I just didn't necessarily have the words for it. And I think that was really, yeah, yeah. I think the way that the spirit works in our lives and puts those experiences together in ways that we can't really always fully appreciate in the moment but can
0: appreciate later when we trace it back. Love it. Um, Great. Chris, thanks so much uh, for being my friend for 10 years and for sharing all of this with us today. Um, You are such a, just such a thoughtful and wise person who I love talking with and learning from and just really appreciate you sharing all of this here on the podcast today with us. Um, And to you, dear listener, thank you for listening as always. I pray that you might have some opportunity, maybe in the summer months ahead, to look back at your life and to trace those ways that God's grace has been bursting in that you hadn't noticed before uh, and that you might discover something new that God is drawing you towards in the days ahead. But as always, thanks for listening. Thanks, Chris, for being on here. Thank you. in peace, everyone.